A very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose stream shall be made glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just as a, at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob 
is our refuge. Father God, with the memory of September 11, 2001, still fresh in our minds, we look to you as our refuge and our help in times of trouble. Father, remind us today what was happening on the 10th of September, what happened on the 11th of September, and what happened on the 12th of September. Help us to remember where we are today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Today is 9-11. And tomorrow will be 9-12. Today we do remember the attacks on the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York. And we do it for the tenth time, as we well should. But I believe that God wants us also to remember September the 12th and how we woke up a little different that day. You know, some events in history impact us so greatly that they're forever engraved in our minds. We remember where we were. We remember what we were doing. And we remember when we heard the news. I'll never forget that I was at the state capitol building in Little Rock, Arkansas, when I heard about the space shuttle Challenger exploding on takeoff. I was just a baby, but I'll bet that there are many here today who know just exactly where they were when they first heard about President John F. Kennedy being assassinated. And ten years ago today, I remember getting a call about what was appearing on the news. And my co-workers and I raced to the television and we saw that second plane hit that second tower. So where were you? Where were you? Does anybody remember offhand where, you, where they were? Tell me where you were. In my flower garden. Who else? Miss Betty? At home. At home? Who else? Miss Patty Lou? Miss Joan? Oklahoma City. Robert? Sawmill Rogersville. Brenda? At home. Who else? Brother Bill? Truck stop in Indiana. Miss Letha? Miss Desi? At home. Christina? Seventh grade English class. Brother Tim? meeting. Anyone else? Callista? At home. Seems like we all remember where we were that tragic day. And every time that we watch the footage like we just saw, it seems like we relive it. It's so fresh in our minds. I mean, how many can feel it when you see it on the TV today? How many of you can feel it just like it was that day? Me too. It's just so real. And you know that day, especially the day after, we said, we'll never forget this. We'll never forget it. And I believe that many of us never have. But it seems for the most part that America has forgotten. It seems like the most part 
politicians have forgotten. But I'll tell you this. The terrorists, they remember it well. And they celebrate every year what they did. I think we need to go back to 912. But instead, it seems like we're going back to a 910 kind of mentality. How in the world can we ever avoid another imminent 911? Today I want to ask and attempt to answer just a, a few questions that have puzzled many, especially since that horrific day 10 years ago. I mean, how can this happen on our own soil? Why does it seem that we're inviting them to return and do something maybe even worse? Where were we on 9-11? Where was God on 9-11? Where were we on 9-12? Where are we today? Probably the most common question that was asked, especially among believers that day, is where was God on 9-11? Can I tell you that he was the same place that he was when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden? He was waiting to cover their sin. Where was God when man first raised his hand in rebellion to God? I mean, couldn't God have stopped this whole sin thing? Couldn't God have just stopped sin before it even happened? Well, sure he could have. But it's not a matter of whether or not he could have. It's a matter of his design for humanity and his plan to redeem us. He designed us with a freedom of choice. And knowing full well that man was going to make some awful choices, knowing full well that man was going to make disastrous choices, God made the provision before the world ever was that man would be redeemed from those mistakes he made. And when Adam and Eve finally fessed up to their sin, there he was. God was there with a covering for their shame. And then God took the ultimate punishment for sin and he placed it on an innocent victim. So me and you might have a relationship with him. But he was there. So where was God on 9-11? Well, he was the same place when Noah was building the ark, protecting him from disaster. You see, sadly, man's rebellion didn't end with Adam and Eve. Their sons and their sons' sons followed the same rebellious path until such a time as the wickedness of man filled the whole earth and the stench of their sin rose up to heaven and just affronted the holiness of God. Yet even in the midst of that kind of ungodliness, in the midst of that kind of wickedness, we see that the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a man. Not perfect. 
Not completely righteous in and of himself. But the Bible says that he had a right standing with God. And the Bible says that he was always busy proclaiming the righteousness of God. And when God, grieved by man's rebellion and sin, determined to wipe man from the face of the earth, he also determined to spare Noah and his family. And through them, he would repopulate the earth. So there in mankind's greatest natural disaster, God was there. God was there, protecting his own. Where was God on 9-11? The same place that he was when Job lost all he had, except his nagging wife. God was there, proving himself that he was God, in spite of the incredible circumstances of Job's life. Just as Noah's generation experienced the greatest natural disaster known to man, I'm sure that Job would rank at the top of the greatest personal disasters known to man. Again, we see a man. We see a good man. We see a godly man standing for what's right, hating what's wrong. But did being blameless and upright Make Job immune from disaster? Of course not. So where was God? Had he turned his back on Job? Where was God? Would Job return the favor by turning his back on God? No, no, and no. God had not deserted Job. And Job would not curse God even though he was encouraged to by a less than faithful wife. Where was God when Job was losing it all? Where was God when Job's children were killed? Where was God when Job's flesh was racked with pain? All Job recognized was that it was God's prerogative. God's prerogative to both give and to take according to his perfect will. And it was Job's duty to bless the name of the Lord. And so in the end, God was there. God was there giving him double of everything he'd lost. So where was God on 9-11? Why, he was in the same place that he was when Abraham's faith faltered. You see, many people today believe that today's struggles with Muslims can be traced back to this one tragic incident in the life of Abraham. God told Abraham, the father of the faithful, to leave his homeland and go to a promised land. A land that his descendants would inherit. But there was a problem. Abraham didn't have any descendants. He had a gorgeous wife. Amen, men? He had lots of servants. Amen, ladies? He had lots of possessions, but he didn't have no kids. How was God going to fulfill that promise? Abraham was already old, 
And his wife Sarah was well past childbearing age. So they thought, well, maybe God needs a little help. In walks their servant Hagar. I mean, there's nothing wrong with helping God out, right? And we got our part to do, and he's got his part to do. Isn't that right? And so to Abraham and Hagar is born a son. A son named Ishmael. Ishmael became the father of the modern Arab nation. And as a result, the nation of Islam, the religion of Islam, came forth from those Arab nations. Ishmael was not the son of the promise. The promise was reserved for Isaac, whom Sarah and Abraham did finally have when he was 100 years old and she was 90. Praise the Lord. God was there to pull off that miracle. God was there. So where was God on 9-11? Why, he was the same place that he was when Joseph was rotting in jail. Rotting in jail for accomplishing God's perfect will. I mean, if ever anyone was misunderstood, if ever anyone was ill-treated, it was Joseph. If ever anyone suffered wrongly, if ever anyone was treated horribly, it was Joseph. Yet with all his hardships, with all his problems and abuse, Joseph was able to honestly say, they meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Every step of the way, God was there. Every step of the way, God was able to take Joseph's trying circumstances and mold him into the man he would one day become. God was there. He was there all the time. Even though I'm quite sure that Joseph wondered sometimes. God was there. So where was God on 9-11? Man, we could go on and on and on telling of biblical experiences just like all these. We could tell of Moses on the backside of a blistering wilderness being prepared for greater service. We could tell of Samson fumbling about in blindness but being strengthened in the hour of his weakness. We could tell of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish learning that, hey, God's way is best. Amen. We could tell of Daniel being thrown to the hungry lions and then taking a little snooze on a lion's skin rug. We could tell of Peter and John being beaten for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then being given even greater opportunities to share the good news. We could tell of Paul being stoned, being shipwrecked, being imprisoned, yet assured that all those things work together for good to those who love God. But perhaps the most profound question, or the most profound response, rather, to the question, where was God on 9-11, is he was in the same place he was when Jesus hung on the cross. Enduring the pain for the benefit of others. Enduring the pain for us. Can you imagine the horror? 
Can you imagine for a second the agony? Can you imagine the anguish? Can you imagine the pain? Not just from the thorns on his brow. Not just the pain from the lashes on his back. Not just the pain from the bruises from his captors. Not just the plucking of his beard from his face. Not just the nails in his hands and his feet. Not just the spear that pierced his side. All that indeed. Plus the weight of the world's sin crushing his body. Where was God when his one and only son was dying on the cross? Didn't he know that Jesus was there? Didn't he know that he could have stopped it? Could he have prevented it? Was God helpless? Didn't God care? Of course he knew. Of course he could have stopped it. Of course he wasn't helpless. Of course he cared. He knew what was happening. And he could have stopped it. But he didn't. But he didn't. God had a larger picture in view. He knew the greater good would be accomplished through the suffering and death of his son. And that greater good involved your salvation. God knew that through the suffering of one, many would be made whole. God knew that through the sacrifice of one, many would have their sins forgiven. God knew that through the death of one, many would be made alive. God just wasn't sitting around idle. God wasn't just sitting there helpless as his son suffered. No, he was using the schemes of wicked men to bring about our salvation. Yeah, he was there. He was there. But did you know that although God was there, as his son was there hanging on the cross, did you know that there was a moment when God turned his back on his son? As the sins of mankind were placed upon his son, our holy God would not, could not be in the presence of that sin. And so he turned his back. turned his back on his own son for you. So I wonder, did he turn his back on us on 9-11? If so, did he turn his back on us because of our national sins? I wonder, will he turn his back on us again? One year after 9-11, Focus on the Family magazine 
reported on the actions of Al Bracey, a man who worked on the 105th floor of Tower One. And when Al realized that they were trapped and there was no hope of escape, Al began sharing the gospel like crazy. And he shared the gospel with over 50 workers on that floor, led them in prayer, and no doubt many were saved before they died in that tower. On 9-12, many of us changed our tune. Many of us became witnesses in, in word and in action. We get, began living what we claim to believe, amen? It appeared like time might be growing short. I don't know about y'all, but I was scared. I told the youth this morning, I went home, and I packed a duffel bag this big, that big around. It had my rifle in it. It had my pistol in it. It had canned food in it. It had matches in it. It had a lighter in it. It had bottled water in it. I was scared. And I remember three months prior to 9-11, in the spring of 2001, I had received the call to preach. And I remember on 9-12, I felt an incredible urgency to get out there and do what God told me to do. I think a lot of us did on 9-12. On 9-12, we were all Americans. And we all received a little wake-up call, didn't we? I wonder, if we gone back to sleep? I wonder what it's going to take to rouse us up again. 6,000 gone this time? Seems like we've recovered from our 9-12 thinking and gone back to a 9-10 mentality. A 9-10 mentality that says, hey man, there's plenty of time. Hey man, if that person don't believe in Jesus today, they might tomorrow. We got plenty of time, there's no hurry. But what if a terrorist hijacked plane crashed into this church house today? How many of your family members would not know Jesus because you had a 9-10 mentality? Why in the world have we returned to this nonsense? I'm guilty as all of us. On 9-12, we stopped wasting as much money, it seemed. It seemed we stopped spending money on trivial things and began giving more to other people. It seems like we began giving more money to God's work. But today, we're a nation that's spending ourselves into oblivion and we're wrecking our children's future in the process. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for forgetting so quickly. I remember at work, there was a record number of people at our Bible study on 9-12. And I remember that the Sunday following 9-11, there were a record number of people at the church house. Man, I bet you this church would have been filled. But then just a couple weeks later, the levels of attendance went right back to where they were on 9-10. But here's something else 
that I thought we learned on 9-11. And that is that Islam is not just another denomination. Islam is not just another denomination. Islam is not like the Methodists or the Church of Christ or the Catholic Church or the Lutherans down the street. They don't worship the same God. The God they worship is a different God. And I know that in our country, everyone has the freedom to worship whoever they want. But we don't have to, nor should we, except that Allah is the same as Jehovah God we worship. He's not. In fact, did you know that Muslims will tell you that according to the Quran, you are their sworn enemy? You are their sworn enemy. And Muslims are responsible for virtually all terrorism in the world today. But what's the difference between an Islamic radical and a peaceful Muslim? What's the difference between them? Does anyone know? I'm going to give you a one-word answer. The difference between an Islamic radical that would take an airplane and, dry, and fly it into the World Trade Center and a peaceful Muslim who might live down 207 is location. The only difference is location. Now I know that for the most part, Muslims live like their neighbors expect them to live. But I want to ask you, what happens when one day they're called upon to act on what they believe? You know what will happen? An uprising will happen. It's almost like they're a sleeping giant. And they're already right in the middle of our neighborhood. You see, their book, the Koran, commands them to kill everyone who doesn't believe in Allah. So I wonder, am I supposed to respect the peaceful Muslim who isn't currently obeying the Koran? Am I supposed to respect him or her? Well... What happens to the day that they decide to obey their book? We're Americans and we're free, but we're not stupid. So let's don't act stupid. Let's realize what's going on in America today. And let's take a stand. I'm not trying to preach some kind of hatred or, or no love towards those people because in all reality, you ought to be praying your heart for them. They're lost. They don't know Jesus. And they're hell-bound just like anyone else that doesn't believe in Jesus. You need to be praying for them, fervently desiring that God might uh, compel them to come to faith in Christ. But you better be alert that they're right in the hood. Amen. What happens when they decide to obey? 
the book they claim to believe. We better remember 9-11. And we better remember who we became on 9-12. Where was God on 9-11? God is in the same place as He has been for all eternity, seated upon His throne of grace, looking forward to the day when His people would get off their backsides and start doing what He called them to do. That's where He is. Just waiting for you. Looking forward to when we as a church would come together and make an impact on this community. When we would come together and say, enough's enough. We're going to serve God and we're going to do our part for the kingdom of heaven. Until that time, we're living with a 9-10 mentality. So I wonder, are we setting ourselves up for another 9-11? I believe so. I believe so. So how in the world can we avoid it? Simple. Live like your life is 9-12. Live like it's 9-12. Now, there may be some in here that don't have a clue what I'm talking about when I declare where God was on 9-11. And they may not understand when I tell them that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. But I'm not declaring you to you words of men or traditions of churches. I'm declaring to you the Word of God. Jesus says very simply, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has spoken to you this morning, and you want to be prepared even for such an awful tragedy like we talked about today, the Bible says that you can profess your faith in Jesus if you believe with all your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God did raise him from the dead. That simple confession, that simple belief in your heart can assure you of eternal life with God. But as I started in the very beginning by saying, he gives us the freedom of choice. So I want to encourage you to choose today. You'll live eternally. You'll live for all eternity. Do you know that? Every one of you. The question is where? With God or separated from God? Once again, the choice is yours. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you didn't just leave us in our sin. Thank you, Lord, that you did provide a plan for us to be redeemed and saved from our sin. And Lord, I pray that your word has fallen on receptive hearts today. And if there's one here that needs to get right with you, Lord, I pray that today would become their day. Lord, I pray you'd give them courage to take that one step of faith, to step out of the pew, just step forward toward me 
and allow me to show them what your word says about eternal life with you. Once again, we thank you for the sacrifice of so many families, so many people. And Lord, I pray that you would endue us with a 9-12 mentality, that we would get about doing the work of God, that we would do what you've called us to do, not for our glory, not for our benefit, but for your glory. And in that name above all names, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, we pray. His name's Jesus. He's your son. And we praise you for him. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.